Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue BTN.com and this is once again another Buckets Breakdown edition of the Take 10 Podcast. So if you haven't heard these before, this is where we bring in some basketball-oriented guests and focus most, if not the entire episode, on Big Ten Hoops. And we do that with a couple of guests on this particular episode. We bring in one recurring guest, Harold Shelton, the BTN researcher who is here most weeks when we get into the, the finer details of Big Ten sports. And uh, he helps us break down, go behind the numbers of, of what we're seeing in Big Ten basketball. So we have some fun, as always, with Harold. And then our guest for our primary discussion is BTN's own John Crispin. John is a color commentator for the network. He does a ton of games each year, former Penn State Hooper and a studio analyst as well for us here at BTN. So it's glad to finally get John on the show and pick his brain a little bit. So before we get into uh, the discussion with John and Harold, just want to issue a couple of reminders. First of all, if you haven't already, please go and subscribe to Andy Katz's Big Ten Basketball Podcast. Andy, the longtime ESPN employee, now BTN and NCA.com reporter, does a weekly podcast with us called the Big Ten Basketball Podcast. He actually had uh, John Crispin on this week for a short spot as well. So John did the whole Big Ten Podcast circuit this week and uh, wasn't planned, but we both had John on this week and um, John had some good stuff and Andy had some good stuff as always. Andy had uh, several more guests this week on his show, so a uh, very diverse set of uh, guests for Andy as always on the Big Ten Basketball Podcast. So subscribe to that. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this Big Ten podcast on all the podcast platforms as well. You can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, go out and subscribe on one of those uh, podcast platforms so you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, another reminder, we still have a coupon code active on the btn.com online store that is good for 10% off your order on uh, any of the good merchandise, swag, memorabilia you can find on the btn.com online shop. And that coupon code is TAKE10, capital T-A-K-E, the number one and the number zero, all caps. And use that coupon code before checking out and get 10% off your order on that btn.com online store. So with those reminders out of the way, uh, we will get to first our discussion with BTN analyst John Crispin, talk a lot of Big Ten hoops, and, and I get some his thoughts on uh, the broader landscape of, of the conference and some uh, more wide-ranging topics before getting down to some individual teams, and then we go behind the numbers with our stat head segment and with our resident stat head, Harold Shelton. So first up, BTN's own John Crispin. All right, I am very pleased to be joined by BTN basketball analyst, former Penn State Hooper, John Crispin. You can follow him on Twitter at BTN John Crispin because I know he loves <laughs> interacting with the masses on there. John, just welcome don't, on. Just don't be negative. That's my whole thing. Don't be negative on Twitter. I don't respond to negativity. Hey, it seems like uh, you've, you've been disarming people on Twitter. Though. You know, they'll come in hot and then you'll kind of hit them with some reason and then they'll back up a little bit. Well, I think you can be reasonable even when people come in, like as you said, they come in a little hot. I think people are so used to thinking that the only way to get your attention is to be fiery or say something mean. You can just have a perspective, right? I mean, that's the whole point of Twitter is is engagement, not 
fighting. It's it's like uh, I I spoke at a school. I'm I'm already getting off topic. If you thought that wasn't going to happen, I spoke at a school and I laughed because it was like a bullying seminar, and and I laughed because I was like I get bullied all the time. I was like, who do you think in this room gets bullied the most? I raised my hand. Right. They said Twitter, man. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think people like really expect you to respond. Like, that's part of it. Is like people will fire off like some angry reply. And then when you actually respond, like, oh, I didn't really expect them to yeah, do that. Yeah, then, so then, then, like, then they're usually like, the oh, reply. good point. Yeah, it's, thanks for the reply. So. But you're a hot commodity this week. I mean, I, I didn't know it heading into the week, but uh, Andy Katz also had you on his Big Ten Basketball podcast for his episode this week. So uh, you're doing the whole media circuit the this ca- week. The, the gauntlet. Pod- yeah, yeah it's like Radio Row at the Final Four. Exactly. So uh, getting you ready for the uh, March Madness, the Final Four. So everyone check out not only this podcast, obviously, but Andy's uh, Big Ten Basketball podcast as well. He's got some good stuff on there. Um, John, we'll start. We're, we're looking at the Big Ten landscape, kind of zoomed out at first, and kind of the theme this year has been how do we explain and handle having fewer tournament-bound teams? Probably when you yeah. when you when you look at it uh, down the road, there's probably you know between four and six that'll that'll get in, and it's been perceived as a slightly down year in the Big Ten. So when you zoom out and look at it that way, how do you first of all have Patience as a fan of the game, yeah. as a Big Ten analyst, how do you have patience with a quote down year in the Big Ten when uh, you know they might not be getting as many bids as normal? Well, I think first you got to look at three new coaches. That's one thing. So you have three new coaches, which means three completely new systems. And, and what Ohio State's doing is unprecedented. It, it really is. It, it, that stuff doesn't usually happen, especially considering with new coaches, it's not just the talent that's coming back. I know a lot of people have said. Well, look, they had Kata Bates-Diop coming back. They had Jay Sean Tate. C.J. Jackson was a bit of a scorer in high school. I'm like, yes, yes, and yes, but that means nothing with a new system. You don't know if the players and the personalities are going to fit with the new coach. I mean, I've been there. When I was at UCLA, I transferred out to UCLA after Penn State. I played for Steve Lavin, but I also, my senior year was under Ben Hallen. And Ben Hallen told me I wasn't going to play. And I understood why. He said, look, I'm going to play the guys that are going to be here in the future. I have a three-year plan for this program. I get it. Now, I wasn't Kata Bates-Diop, but at the same time, I was a guy that can contribute. So I think you can't bank on the fact that they were able to do what they're they're able to do. So you look at the other two teams, Illinois and Indiana. I think Indiana is starting to turn things around, and I think Illinois is the most dangerous uh, you know, team without a win in any major power conference. So... I think you look at some of those programs and you understand that it might take some time. The other programs that are struggling, when you look at somebody like Wisconsin, is it any surprise? You know, you lost four starters from last year and all the weight falls on Ethan Happ. And people are like, yeah, but he's first team all Big Ten. I was like, when he was only facing a double team. Now he's the whole defense revolves around whatever Ethan Happ is doing wherever he's at on the floor. So it's no surprise to see Wisconsin struggling. You look at some of the other teams, even like Iowa. I thought Iowa was going to be one of the top four teams in the conference. Well, it turns out they need a go-to guy. They need an alpha on the floor like Peter Jock was for them. So that's been an issue. So I don't think teams are far off. Uh, I don't think it's that they're far off. It's just that they're missing one or two pieces that would make them a legitimate contender. And I, I don't mean Big Ten championship contender. But I mean postseason contender, meaning you're going to get to a postseason, whether it be the NCAA tournament or the NIT, because the NIT is still postseason. Yeah, I think the Big Ten, too, will rehabilitate its image a little bit in March just because the teams that are looking like they're on the path to the NCAA tournament, yeah. they look built to have success in March, especially 
a Purdue or, or maybe a Michigan State. But sticking on the the broader topic of the uh, overall strength of the conference, do you think with the step back couple of programs have taken, Minnesota, Northwestern, being yeah. a couple that made the tournament last year, do you think some of those teams and programs uh, come back to the surface next year? Do you think the conference bolsters itself and improves its overall strength going forward? Well, I do. I, I do think next year will be better. Um, it's hard, though, because the Big Ten, when it's better, just beats itself up. So you have to win big games in the non-conference slate for the Big Ten to be taken seriously as a legitimate, strong, power five conference. And that was the issue this year. Challenge. You go back to the ACC yeah. Big Ten Challenge, Big Ten ACC Challenge, whatever the heck it was this year. I think it changes every year. You know, you look at that and everyone just said the Big Ten's down. The Big Ten's terrible. Well, I would argue that there were some tough matchups, and that's just the way it goes. Some of the teams that had to play better competition were not ready to play good competition. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why the perception is that it's down. Now, if you want to have a good season next year, if you want to be perceived as a strong conference, you have to win good non-conference games. And the truth is, you also have to win those games that you must win. I mean, look at the way Indiana started the year with some bad losses. That can't happen. So bad losses hurt the perception. Not winning against other Power 5 schools hurts the perception of the league. And I think next year... You know, I think every team will probably approach the, that non-conference slate a little bit differently. And I, and I don't want to make any excuses either, like with the whole start of Big Ten Conference play in early December. I'm not going to make excuses about that. But I think that does change things. It changes how you approach your practices. You're preparing for Big Ten play the first week of the season. Yeah, so what fans really care about, you know, it's a nice talking point is the perception of the conference as a whole, but fans really care about their program, their team, yeah. uh, who they root for. So I know you've at times preach patience with, and we're not talking about any specific teams here, but I just want to get your perspective on having patience with a individual program that might be going through some struggles and how you balance that patience with, is a change going to be beneficial for a program like we saw with Ohio State moving on from Thad Mata? Obviously that's paid off big time for them with Chris Holtman this year. On the flip side, there's uh, instances like Purdue a few years back when Painter was going through a rough stretch after the baby boilers. And he got that rebooted, and now they're the class of the conference. So how do you uh, discern between situations like that? Like, when do you know when it's time to move on and when when you should probably stick it out with a coach, even if a fan base is a re- little restless? Well, I'll tell you, it starts with the administration, and, I, and people don't really think of this enough. They just think, go get the next best coach that's out there, the next hottest thing. And that is so short-sighted. It really is. You have to think about who you are as a program, and who you are as a program has to be reflected by the administration as well. I look at Ohio State, and Gene Smith says, look, this is a long-term position. This is not just a quick fix and let's be competitive. Let's build a program that is competitive every year. Why is Wisconsin able to, quote, win with less, and we can't? So it's not about getting the best talent. We want to run a clean program, so we want a coach who's going to teach basketball, do it the right way, have players graduate, and hopefully throughout the course of those seasons we get a couple years where we are really competitive, meaning the top ten team. Now, I think you have to identify who you are as an institution, and your coach has to reflect who that is as an institution, and that's, that cohesiveness has to come all the way down from the top. And the problem is most places don't do that. They look at the basketball coach and the football coach as a way to preserve your job as an athletic director. So if I make that big hire, and I think I say a lot of this because when – Archie Miller, before Archie Miller got hired, Fred Glass came out and talked about, we want to hang banners, we want to do this. It's like, 
That's not who you are. That's what you want to get from who you are. So you have to identify who you are and make sure that the coach matches that first. Because otherwise, you're going to go through this process every five to seven years. I mean, every school, every institution is different. Purdue is different than Indiana. Penn State is different than Ohio State. Michigan is different than Michigan State. You can't, you can't expect to have the same level of success the way you're successful as if Tom Izzo could do it anywhere else. No, Tom Izzo fits Michigan State. He is Michigan State. Now, he's, pro- he's helped to build that culture. But that's who that school is. Look at the football and the basketball program. That's who they are. It's hard-nosed. It's tough. They get tough kids, and they play at a high level. That's who they are. Purdue is not in, I would say, i got to be careful I say this because people take this the wrong way. Purdue is not the elite-level program. They play at an elite level, but it's not the elite-level program like in Indiana, like UCLA, Duke, Kentucky. That's not who they are. So they get guys, and this is why Matt Painter is doing such a fantastic job, they get guys that fit who they are. They get guys that want to be developed, and by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're then competing at the level that they're playing at now. All right, so let's expand on Purdue a little bit. You've not only been having fun on the uh, podcast circuit this week, you were on TV getting a little props because you correctly yeah, they, they brought up an old clip, dug it up from uh, November when you predicted that Purdue would actually be better this year despite the loss of Biggie Caleb Swanigan. So, you know, pat yourself on the back for that. What have they surprised you at all? Like just with the success, even because you know, I think your take was fair in November that they potentially could be better. But I don't know if many people expected them to be a top three team in the country. Yeah, I think that you can't predict that. I mean, that's one of those things where for you to be an elite level team, meaning a, a Final Four contender at this point in the season, you have to be doing a lot of things really well, and that's what they're doing. They're they're shooting the ball well. They're feeding the post well. They defend well. They cut hard. They set hard screens. They play disciplined basketball. They don't get in foul trouble. They do so many things really well, and they have guys that come off the bench that understand their roles. You know, a guy like Matt Harms, he he understands his role on the team. His role on the team is not to come in and just demand the ball every time. He's going to set hard screens. He's going to run the floor. He's going to block as many shots as he can, and he's going to fist pump as many times as he can throughout the course of the game because that's what he does. He brings energy. So. I don't think you can predict those things. I did always feel like they could be a top 10 team because if you look at the way they finished last year, and, and I did feel, I, I said it, this was November 12th, they had just beaten Chicago State, but I saw something. In the way they moved the ball, in the way they had fun playing together, more guys were involved, and more of the play was around the perimeter. It was more outside in than it was inside out. And that just changes how you defend, and that's why I felt like, and that's why I said, I feel like it's addition by subtraction. I think it's a better team, and team is, you know, hard to quantify. Team means five guys play better together than the way they did last year. And that's not to take anything away from Caleb Swanigan. Biggie was fantastic. He worked hard, and he's part of the reason why this team is good right now. But when you're able to have the balance that they have right now and do all the things that they do right now well, you're a legitimate Final Four contender, as they are. All right, so entering the season, speaking of Final Four contenders, everyone talked about Michigan State and potentially Purdue as top two teams in the Big Ten, probably two teams with the best chance to make a run in March. So with the strengths of these two teams, Michigan State, I think, is undoubtedly just the athleticism, the sheer talent they have up and down the roster. And then Purdue's is the veteran leadership, the discipline, the consistency, and the efficiency. Which team, it doesn't even have to be one or the other here, it could be both, but... Which advantages within those two teams do you think serves each team 
better in a tournament format like March Madness. Yeah, well, I think Purdue. I think Purdue actually has the leg up here for two reasons. One being that they have better guards, and their guards are one through four. I mean, I, I understand the length of Michigan State, but Vincent Edwards is a point guard as much as he's a four man. And I think that's hard to defend. And in the NCAA tournament, you have to not only match up with Isaac Haas, but you, you got to match up with Isaac Haas in a one-on-one situation. There are not many teams that can do that, especially when you get spaced out. There's going to be driving lanes. It's hard to score against them because they defend with shot blockers behind them. So I think Purdue's got a little leg up there. And the, the second reason why I give you that one, I give you Purdue, excuse me, is uh, that they're old. There's a sense of urgency with guys that are running out of time in their college career. And you can't say enough about it. Um, we haven't seen that come in, come to fruition with Northwestern. I think there's been a lot of issues there, playing away from home with Welsh Ryan being renovated, You know, almost feeling as if they won the national championship last year with the first dance. But if you look at Purdue, it's a team that now realizes their potential. And with seniors, with experience, they understand what it takes. And they also understand how special this is because it's taken them three, four years to get here. So I like the sense of urgency from Purdue that you're going to get from seniors and also the guard play that you're going to get from one through four. All right, so sticking on the theme of what's going to suit these teams well in March, and we'll discuss the other two, you know, look to be locks for the Big Ten, for the NCAA tournament yeah. at this point, Ohio State and Michigan. So I would, I would argue that Michigan's advantage is they have beeline, they have made successful postseason runs before. Beeline knows how to get those guys to play yep. together as they move through March. And then Ohio State, kind of what you touched on with Purdue, they have the veteran leadership. They have Kata Bates, Diop, Jay Sean Tate. They have veterans that know how to play together and with the sense of urgency, yep. like you said with Purdue, with the t- their time's running out. So how do you think those advantages will serve those two teams well in March? And, you know, they're probably not as much of a, a postseason Final Four contender as, say, Purdue or Michigan State, but – you never know what could happen yes. to March in Ohio yeah. State. They haven't lost in forever, so you never know. They beat Michigan State, so maybe they belong in the discussion. Well, look, Ohio, with Ohio State, I go back to know who you are and do what you do. And that seems to be the way they play. Uh, Ohio State basketball and Chris Holton, Holtman knows who they are, and he's going to focus on them doing what they do and then continuing to improve upon that. And I think that's what makes them good. It's, it's hard to identify a ceiling for Ohio State because what will make them go far in the tournament is, is a matchup that allows guys like Kata Bates-Diop to thrive and Jay Sean Tate to work in the post. So I, I do think that they need a certain matchup, whereas Purdue, or excuse me, Michigan, has a better opportunity because you can play a little big lineup with Mo Wagner, but he can space you out on the offensive end. You've got guys like John Teske who can match up with bigs in the paint, but you can also go small, and you have guys like Livers and Poole starting to emerge as legitimate con- uh, contributors, mm-hmm. you know, consistent contributors. So I like Michigan in that regard because I think they can match up with different teams, but I also think that they can do more in terms of scoring. There, there's, there's a higher ceiling for a team like Michigan when you get to the NCAA tournament. Now, it doesn't mean Ohio State can't go to the Final Four because my freshman year at Penn State, Wisconsin played Michigan State in the Final Four, and they couldn't score more than 60 points a game. But they found a way to shut people down by simplifying the game, and I think that's going to be similar to what you see from Ohio State from here on out. All right, so looking at the rest of the Big Ten landscape, Minnesota and Maryland were looking like they could maybe – make a run, but they've taken some tough losses recently. So I look at Nebraska as uh, the last real major threat to, to yeah. make a run of the tournament. They look like a tournament team to me, just using the eye test. 
James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland look like. To me, they just remind me of Teran Petaway and Siobhan yeah, right, from a few years right. back, their last tournament team. They just passed the eye test, but I think their issue is, is their resume going to look good enough on paper to the committee? Because right now they're number 65 in Ken Palm. Traditionally, you got to be at least minimum around the 40 mark to, to get in that large bid. Big win over Michigan yep. uh, in the last week here. And beating Ohio State, I think, would have put them over the top, but they couldn't pull it out. Similar to the game against Kansas, they uh, couldn't pull it out, left that on the table. So the problem is for them, the best team they play from here on out is Maryland, and the rest is uh, the bottom half of the Big Ten. Yeah. So how do you envision Nebraska making a run at the tournament? Do you think they just have to win a vast majority of these games, or, or is it going to come down to New York City where maybe yeah. they have to make a little bit, run, bit Look, of a run there? I think for Nebraska, you've got to beat all the teams that you're supposed to beat. Mm-hmm. And that means if you want to finish fifth in the conference, as I think they should, if, if Maryland can't figure out who they are you know, without guys like Bender and Justin Jackson, you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, which is basically anybody below them. And I think that the committee would look at that and say, look, this is the Big Ten Conference. Year in, year out, we know this is a grind. This is a team that played a tough schedule, too. I mean, you go back to that schedule in, in December and you look at Nebraska, you're like, what are you doing with that schedule? They all, they're one point away for, or two points away from beating uh, Kansas on their, own, on their home floor. And, and I think that would have been a huge win, but I also think you look at the schedule, you look at how well they played against a team like that, and say, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. There are also a lot of new pieces. So you look at new pieces, and I just wish there were more basketball people on the committee, people that watched the game and said, you know what, that's a good basketball team. And they may not have the best resume. They may have one bad loss in the St. John's game, which was just completely uncharacteristic. Um, but I like Glenn Watson Jr. I really like Isaac Copeland. I like James Palmer Jr., Anton Gill, and, and Isaiah Roby in that lineup. And I think that's a lineup that not only if could they get to the NCAA tournament, I think if that lineup was in the NCAA tournament, they could shock a lot of people. And you got to remember, they beat Minnesota when Minnesota was a top 15 team yeah. before Minnesota fell apart. So that's another uh, feather in their cap. All right, moving on to a team from your home state, Rutgers. You've called some of their games this year. You called their biggest win over Seton Hall. That was yep. a top 20 team. The problem with, with that whole part of the season was immediately after their, their biggest win, they then tripped over themselves Immediately with the yeah, losses to Stony Brook and Hartford. And, and, you know, I think it's unanimous that everyone likes what Steve Peichel's doing there, likes uh, where the direction that program is going. So my question for you is, you know, after coming so close to beating Michigan State, as close as a Corey Sanders shot to going in and knocking them off uh, at home, I just want to know, like, what's the next step for them? Because I'd argue that the true progress for them now going forward is not dropping those games that yeah. you're supposed to win, like Stony Brook and Hartford. Like, you can't lose the momentum now that the program was gaining there. Like, all that evaporated. So I think winning the games you're supposed to win, and then this year, any postseason berth you can scratch out, like a CBI and an IT, yeah. I think that would be huge for the program. So what do you, where, what's your take on that? Well, I'll tell you what. You lose those games, and it actually supports the messaging from your coach. Because what your coach and Steve Peichel's been telling these guys is you can't take a day off. Mm-hmm. And a day off does not mean a game. It's a practice. You can't take a day where you're just not committed to getting better. And and that was something he's had to overcome when he got there because and this is not a knock on Eddie Jordan, but that team just didn't work the way they needed to work to be competitive in the Big Ten Conference and beyond, I mean, really to be competitive in Division One college basketball. So Steve Peichel's had to convince these guys that putting in the work every day is imperative. So when you beat Seton Hall, is it any surprise that you're going to follow that up with a couple bad losses? No. 
That's no surprise at all because those guys in that moment feel like, all right, we're here. We made it. We can take a day off. We can maybe not get shots up the way we want to get shots up. We can kind of just screw around in practice and not take things seriously because we just beat Seton Hall and everybody loves us and is telling us how great we are. And then you learn your lesson. So, so I, I would argue that those losses in the end are good because it, it almost clarifies the messaging that your coach has been putting out there saying, look, every day is important. If we didn't get better today, we lost a day. And if we didn't get better today, it's going to hurt us in a game. And that's what happens. So, so I think those losses will be good in the end for, for Rutgers. I think it just supports the messaging from your coaching staff and from Steve Peichel to say, this is what it takes to be a winner, and if you don't believe me, we're going to lose. And I think that's, that's where it is a good thing. I think consistency will eventually come when they realize how important taking care of every day is. And you see it pay off because, like I mentioned, a team that hadn't learned that lesson wouldn't have taken Michigan State to no. the ropes and wouldn't have won the games they have since then. Not, a, not on the road. All right, so now looking back, I think now that the picture of the, the conference is, is kind of coming into focus here as we go uh, move into the last month of the regular season, what's one team that you think, once the season wraps up and uh, they don't get an invite to the NCAA tournament, what's one team from the Big Ten that you think will maybe look back at the season and just go, man, that's one that got away from us? Well, uh, first off, it's got to be Northwestern. You know, Northwestern, you've got an experienced team. you got a bunch of seniors. you got guys that, that played together last year, made it to their first you know, NCAA tournament of all time. We saw the first dance documentary, which was fantastic. If anybody hasn't seen it yet, yeah, on demand, whatever, last night dial great. it up. It's unbelievable. Uh, so you have that group that, that made that run, and I thought they were a top-five team in the conference, and I, I think they should have been. And I think they just missed the opportunity because they felt too good about themselves. They really did. I mean, they've got the talent. They've got the personnel to be really good. But they didn't have the same sense of urgency. They, they were not committed to one common goal the way they were last year. So I, I think they'll look back and feel like they let one get away there. But also, it's been a tough season for them not having real, a real home court with, as I said before, Welsh Ryan being renovated. The other one I would say is Iowa. Iowa's got all the pieces to be really good, but they don't – Play with an intensity, with with, with a, an urgency, really at all. And I think that's been a, a challenge for me watching that team because you see Fran McCaffrey, as intense as he is, he doesn't have a Fran McCaffrey on the floor. And at some point they'll look back and look at each other and go, wait, we're a really good team. Why are we not winning? Well, you're not winning because you don't have the Peter Jock. You don't have the alpha. And it's not about the scoring. It's about the guy that just can go get you one and wants it more than somebody else. I think some emerg- some urgency has kind of emerged in a guy like Luca Garza. Oh, yeah. Them. I mean, he, he's now getting his opportunity, and he's making the most of it. He's getting double-doubles now, and he he's one of those guys for Iowa that, you know, gets fired up, gets under the opponent's skin, yeah. and just does does his job out there. And that's maybe a building block for them. Going well, forward. I think it's definitely a building block, but I think it's also got to be from guys like Tyler Cook. I think it's got to be Jordan Bohannon. Could be a wake-up call, too. For Guards have to be more demonstrative on the floor. If you just look back at the teams that are led by the guy with the ball in his hand and the teams that are led by the guy defending the ball out around the perimeter, they usually win. The best point guards in the conference, the best point guards in the country, usually have a winning team. That's just how it goes. All right, John, before we wrap up, I want to get your prediction on a potential sleeper or two in the Big Ten tournament coming up in uh, New York City. You know, we, we got top four or five teams like we talked about. Who's a team that can maybe make a run that could spoil some uh, tourney hopes, pop some bubbles yeah. as we uh, have this unique tournament coming up in Madison Square Garden? 
I think it's going to be interesting because it, it, you got to see the matchups first. Mm. But I, I look at Northwestern could certainly be one of them. Um, I just I think that they're going to get to the point where they're like, hey, we got nothing left to lose anymore. Let's right. go out and win some basketball games together. So I think Northwestern's one because they have old guys who are certainly capable. Uh, I, I also look at some of the teams down the list. I look at an Illinois. If that team got rolling and they start playing with that kind of intensity and if they're able to get through one day and get to the next, they got nothing to lose at that point. That's a scary team to me. And people don't say enough about Illinois. They really don't. I mean, it's, we, we, we say around here they're the best team without a win in any Power 5 conference, and, and that's no joke. Uh, every coach that plays against them will tell you that. The other team is Indiana. I think Indiana's on the verge of being an NCAA tournament team. Um, it's funny because they're playing small. They're playing like Archie Miller's teams in Dayton, where they had to play small ball, but they play with intensity. They seem to have fun playing together. They're getting up and down the floor better. They communicate better defensively. So I, I think you can't say enough about Jawan Morgan either. So a guy like Jawan Morgan, a team like Indiana, could go in and make some noise. Yeah, for Indiana, it's another instance of there was a couple nights they took off. You yep. know, I, uh, Fort Wayne game. And you see them knock off a team like Notre Dame in the fashion they did. You know, they have, they have potential, like you said, to, to play with anyone, really. So should be a fun tournament coming up in, in uh, New York over in sure will. over in your neck of the woods. Yep. And uh, that's all I got for you today, John. So I appreciate you you taking some time out your busy schedule and uh, busy schedule. Join, joining the podcast. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Someone asked me to talk about basketball. I'm in. All right. Sounds good. All right, thanks again to John for joining me. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, um, I've been waiting to have John on for a while. I'm glad we were able to get him on because he's always a fun guy to talk to, very knowledgeable, and sees a lot of, a lot of basketball. So thanks to John for coming on. Um, now we will kick it over to our discussion with BTN researcher Harold Shelton, who joined the show for his regular stat head segment. And we get some insightful analysis, as always, from H., and I won't make you wait any longer for that. We'll get right to it now. ETN researcher Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to be joined once again by BTN researcher and house stat head Harold Shelton. Harold, welcome in for another week. We're getting towards the end of January, about a month away from NYC. So uh, just going to keep it rolling and have a good discussion here. Oh, yeah, always looking forward to it. All right, so settling in, um, <clears throat> our Alma Mater's, our schools played just this past Monday. My alma mater, Illinois. We all know you're the Sparty guy. You're Michigan State. I actually wasn't able to watch that game, but from what I heard, it was uh, kind of a statistical anomaly in the sense that Michigan State, for them, was either all or nothing. They shot a record field goal percentage from the field. I think they set a State Farm Center record in their win over Illinois by shooting 68%. Um, but they turned the ball over a ton and and I was following the game on Twitter and I just noticed you know everyone was saying well one of these can't keep up either or either Michigan State's going to stop turning the ball over or they're going to stop shooting at this clip and they kept up both rates pretty much and still won the game by double digits so just you know as a guy who follows the numbers follows stats and and makes a living around interesting uh anomalies like this game was what were your observations from that game and how did it kind of play out yeah it was definitely a weird game to watch everything seemed like it was a turnover or it was a a dunk for Michigan State I mean we know Illinois likes to play a certain style where they speed you up they force turnovers they overplay they put a whole lot of pressure on, on the ball handlers they try to deny a lot of stuff so 
turnovers have been an issue for Michigan State as it is, and then you put <laughs> you combine that with the fact that Illinois forces so many. I wasn't super surprised. 25 is a ton of turnovers, but I wasn't surprised that they turned it over as much. It was interesting just to see whenever they wound up getting a shot toward the basket, it was a success. Because even if they missed, they're so much bigger than Illinois that they were able to dominate the glass and get a second chance opportunity. Their biggest thing is just turnovers, and when Cassius Winston doesn't play well, as his eight turnovers suggested, that game was a lot closer than it probably could have been. I mean, they shot 78% in the first half, but they had 15 turnovers, so they're only up by seven. Yeah, I was going to say, Michigan State's athleticism, their depth, their overall talent advantage eventually won out. But is that your biggest concern for, for Michigan State heading into a March Madness, an NCAA tournament, when they run into a team that is capable of pressuring like Illinois did, but that team, whoever that might be, also might have a, a roster that can match up athletically with Michigan State. Is that the biggest concern is turnovers? Uh, I'd just say the backcourt play in general. I, I still believe that it's Cassius Winston is the key to the whole thing. I mean, we know Bridges can be great. We know Jaron Jackson's coming on. Uh, you know, they got a lot of front court depth, but Winston is the key. And more often than not, when he doesn't play well, they struggle. Um, and so if they wind up playing a, a super athletic backcourt where he has to play defense and gets in foul trouble. You think like a West or, Virginia maybe. That exactly. You, you play a team like that with a Javon Carter hounding you all over yeah. the court, like that could be a problem because he's, he's very cerebral, he's very savvy, but he's not that athletic. And so you can kind of bump him off his spots. You can make him uncomfortable. And we've seen that, you know, a few diff- a few different times this year. All right, well, bottom line, Michigan State got the win, and they seem to kind of rebound a little bit from their struggles a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So moving on from them, we'll keep, continue to keep an eye on the Spartans, obviously. Moving on from them, a uh, team we're actually watching right now. We're recording this Wednesday evening as the Nebraska-Rutgers game is going on. So a lot of the conversation, tourney-wise, hinges on whether Nebraska can close out Rutgers. But we'll focus on a couple of players that we know have been consistent for them, we know are doing their thing tonight, as they have all season, and that's uh, – James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland, the two transfers for Nebraska, especially James Palmer Jr. because he's the uh, reigning, I believe, Big Ten Player of the Week. He dropped 34 against Ohio State in a narrow loss, and he's been a, a big contributor for them. So, first of all, they were brought in as transfers. They're they're huge contributors on uh, on a team where they didn't have any uh, impact last year because they weren't eligible. So, how much credit does Tim Miles deserve for bringing them in and, and being able to integrate them into this offense and this roster, and how much of it is just him and Copeland being phenomenal players outright? I definitely think Miles deserves a lot of credit. I mean, it's not easy when you lose a bunch of guys to transfers and then bring in a whole bunch of new guys. I mean, the makeup's totally different. And I think it took Palmer a while to kind of realize where he fit within the team. You know, it was still kind of Glenn Watson's team you know, coming into the year after Ty Webster left. And so I think it kind of took a while to figure out when he can pick his spots, but he's been on a roll the last two weeks. But I think the biggest thing for Nebraska is that they, Copeland and Palmer are two long wings, so they can defend. And I think the fact that they've gone smaller playing Roby at the five, they can rotate and switch everything, and that's made them much, much tougher to deal with. Yeah, I was telling uh, John Crispin, the other guest on the show, just the way that um, the way that Copeland and Palmer are able to 
be so versatile out there. It reminds me of when they had Siobhan Shields and Teron Petaway uh, a few years ago when they made their, their last tournament. And I think that's what Nebraska needs to be a tournament-caliber team is to to compete on an even plane athletically as, as their opponents. And we see them kind of exposing Rutgers in the second half now uh, as we watch on the screen here. Copeland just had a huge jam, and we've seen a lot of that this season from them. They've been excited to watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when they get out in the open floor, when you know Watson can go get his, and you got those two guys running the wing, I mean, good luck. All right, so we'll move on to a, another team that uh, has its share of athletes, and this team is probably the deepest in the conference. It's Purdue. They're the number three team in the country right now, and the dominance is kind of astounding as we go game over game here. Like, you keep expecting them to have a off night just because that's how the ebbs and flows of Big Ten basketball generally work, but it hasn't happened yet. Purdue, I heard some crazy stat today, like they've only trailed for under 15 minutes or something like that all season. It was a ridiculously low number that they've, they've trailed in games, and uh, they haven't lost, obviously, since November. So this pattern of solid basketball that we've seen up until this point, it has to bode well for them heading into a NCAA tournament because with, you know, Big Ten teams of the past where they might get tripped up is you don't know what's going to happen night in and night out. At least I think with this Purdue team, you know every night they're going to have a consistent effort and you, and you know it's going to take a really special night from the opponent to shut them down. Yeah, they have so many weapons too. When you have experienced weapons like they have, I mean, Vince Edwards is a senior, you know, Dakota Mathias is a senior, you know, Isaac Haas has been there for a while, you know, Carson Edwards kind of went through everything last year. P.J. Thompson's a senior. So all of these guys have been there and have just gotten better as time has gone on. And I think there's a lot to be said for experience. I mean, experience still matters. And the fact that they have four or five different guys on any given night that can hurt you, I mean, it definitely bodes well for March. I mean, they have, I think, what, 11 wins this year by at least 25 points. So, I mean, they have just been putting their foot on the gas you know i'm not like a college basketball tradition traditionalist in the sense that i'm against one and dones or i'm you know anti uh players you know the programs that are known for having their one and dones like kentucky or duke but i think it would make a big statement if purdue this march you know went out and and beat some of those one and done teams just because you know, it's a cool thing to see when players stick it out for four years on campus, and nothing against players that leave early because that's they got to get their bread and they got to do what they got to do. But um, you know, I think I'll be I'll, I'll be rooting for Purdue a little extra just because they have such a veteran team that's worked so hard. But I will say about some, about some of those one and done teams that have cut down the nets, they've had a senior or two right. in the starting lineup. Like that Duke team a couple years ago that won it. I mean, Quinn Cook was a senior right. that kind of led them through. I mean, Villanova reminds times. me of Purdue. Yeah, Villanova. I mean, Archie Diakono was a senior. I mean, Chris Jenkins was a junior on that team. I mean, Josh Hart was a junior. I mean, these are guys that were still around. And, you know, even the Kentucky team of Anthony Davis, they had upperclassmen on that team. They Say they run into a Duke in the Final Four. I mean, Grayson Allen's still a senior. They still got, even though they got guys like Bagley, um, they're still, you know, still that senior young. leadership. Exactly. Yeah, so. But Grayson, they probably will rely on Grayson Allen a lot when times got tough. All right, so we'll get to more March Madness talk when that, uh, when that gets a little closer on the calendar. But I'm going to stick on Purdue a little bit and, and bring some more teams into the discussion because there's a monumental matchup that's coming up on February 7th. We're about two weeks out now, so we can start talking about it. And it's Ohio State and Purdue. That's that's kind of looked at as going to be uh, could be a, a de facto Big Ten title game. Both teams are undefeated at this point in the conference. And if you look at their schedules, there's a good chance they might both be undefeated 
uh, on February 7th when Ohio State and Purdue meet in Mackey Arena. So my question to you is, which team is more likely to lose and kind of ruin that buildup uh, before February 7th? I'll lay out the schedules for you. Ohio State has three games before that matchup. They play Penn State, Indiana, and Illinois. That's all at home, all at uh, Value City Arena. Purdue, on the other hand, has Michigan Thursday. So we're recording this Wednesday night. This will come out Thursday. So by the time people are listening out there, the game might be over and decided, or maybe not. But Purdue has Michigan Thursday. Then they go to Indiana, big rivalry matchup there. Maryland, back at Mackey Arena, and then they have to go to uh, Rutgers, to Jersey. So which team do you think? I mean, I, th- I think Purdue's established themselves as the better team. They've proven that uh, so far, at least. But which team do you think is more likely to lose before February 7th? Uh, I think I think Purdue's the answer to both. I think Purdue's the better team, and I think they have the chance to actually lose before that big matchup just because of the teams that they're playing against. I mean, Michigan absolutely couldn't have, could have beaten them when mm-hmm. they played in Ann Arbor a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it's just a really tough matchup for them. And Michigan beat them twice last year. It's just a really weird style that Purdue has to play against. Uh, you go to Indiana, and I know Indiana's been down, but rivalry game on they'll the at least road, get up for it. You know they'll be up for it. Emotions will be high. It's a pretty quick turnaround for Purdue, too, coming off the night game and then going to Bloomington. So I would say that Purdue has the tougher uh, schedule of the two, but I think both will still be undefeated when they meet. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect either of them to lose, but I, I'd agree on paper. It looks like Purdue has a tougher road, and, and we'll see. I mean, I don't expect Michigan to go into Mackey Arena and get a win, but I expect them to make it close at least for a while. Like a lot of these games with Purdue, like you look up and it's already twenty-five to eight or something right. like that. They've just been shooting guys out of the gym, and especially at home, they yeah, blitz you at home. That'll surprise me if Michigan does that. If Michigan get stumped like that in the first half tomorrow so we'll have to see um but uh, i'm looking forward to it. looking forward to that matchup on february 7th and looking forward to the last four weeks of the season so we'll be sure to catch up with you at least a few times before we uh get out to new york city yeah i'm looking forward to it you know purdue's gonna be real interesting we're gonna find out a lot about them with that ohio state michigan state back to back in early february all right sounds good and we will uh keep everyone updated so keep it locked here thanks for joining me h no problem All right, thanks to John and Harold for joining me. And uh, thanks for listening to another Buckets Breakdown edition of the Take 10 Podcast. Continue to do these throughout the rest of basketball season, which hopefully will stretch into early April, because that means a Big Ten team is made, the Final Four. Um, we'll definitely have some coverage ahead of the Big Ten tournament coming up in New York City. Hopefully some New York or Big Ten tournament-focused guests. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we can pull together for some coverage around uh, that, that big event because it's going to be a, a big production. I know a lot of ETN employees are excited for the uh, Madison Square Garden tournament and getting out to New York, and we'll hopefully have some uh, some guests on the show that reflect that East Coast basketball and that style, and and uh, we'll be able to share some insight about the, uh, the move out East for the 2018 Big Ten tournament. And uh, beyond that... Just continue to subscribe, uh, like, rate, comment on the show, and um, we'll continue to push out some good content with great guests, and uh, Andy Katz will do the same on his Big Ten Basketball Podcast, so subscribe to both if you haven't already. Thanks as always to Wes White for producing, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take Ten Podcast.